Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Have you ever wanted to change the world? I have. I think we all have, right? Maybe that's the kind of language you use when we're teenagers or we start and go to college or we start out in our career or we start out in life and we sort of go like, man, I just want to change the world. Because it's hard not to want to change it when it's so bad. <laughs> like when you, when you look around at institutions and, and systems and you see how jacked up it all is and you see, you know, the riots and the, the anger and the frustration and murder and, and brokenness and, and hurt and you see all that stuff and you go like, man, it's, it's broken. I want to change it. And it's not just broken out there. You see it in your own life too. When you see brokenness in your family tree, when you see things that you've done, when you see people struggling with addictions and divorce and, 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 and all of this like hard stuff, it's not hard to conclude that things are bad and I want to change it. Now, we may all disagree on why things are the way they are. Why is this so bad? What, what is the problem we're trying to solve for? But I, I think we can all agree at least that there are some problems and they need some solving. So what we end up saying is, I want to change the world. And that's a great aspirational thing to say. But anyone who wants to change the world, and if anyone says they want to change the world, I, I want you to answer this one question. It's this. What are you going to change it to? What are you going to change it to? Like any, any college student who comes in and writes an essay or any high school student says, you know, when I, when I get out of here, I, I want to change the world. The, the professor or the, the teacher, their first question should be, cool, what do you want to change it to? Like what vision do you have that you are aligning things? You go, well, I want it to be this. It's currently this, and so I want to help make it that. Because if you don't have any overarching vision for what you want to change it to, then your change isn't really going to work. You're, you're, you're not really moving anywhere. What's the point of being progressive if we don't even know what you're progressing towards? You've got to have something out there, some vision for human flourishing that you're moving towards. And, and I actually think as I, as I survey our culture right now and our cultural landscape kind of in the West, in America in particular, what we lack is any, any agreed upon vision for where we're going and why. We, we, we lack an agreed-upon vision of what our story has been, our history, and we lack a, a vision for, for where, where it's going. If we talk about marriage, we'll talk about who can be married, who can't be married, and rules and laws around that, but we have no agreed-upon vision of what is marriage for. We talk about money. We can talk about economic systems. You can say, oh, capitalism this, or socialism this, or social democracy is this, and we need to add these things in, and we need to do this with money, and, and this is what the market should look like, all of this stuff, but we have no agreed-upon vision of what money is actually for. We just kind of all go, well, we should have it, and we should have more of it, and that would be great. We don't really have an agreed-upon vision there. We can talk about parenting, and you can talk about parenting styles, and you're raising kids, and, and growing kids this way or that way, and you need to do this, and, and they should eat this kind of food, and they should be in these kind of schools. But why? What, what are we trying to do when we raise children? What, we have no agreed-upon vision of what the end game is here. Is it they go to a good school? Is it that they're happy one day? Is it they, they have a career that they like? Is it that they're nice people? Is it some higher-minded kingdom of God vision? Like, what is our vision for parenting? We, we don't really 
agree upon it. We, we can talk about sexuality, who's having sex with who and who isn't and what you should be doing and what is allowed and permissible and okay and in the sexual realm and what isn't and what is like good and what is sanctified and what is dirty and profane and we shouldn't do these things. We can talk about that stuff all day long, but, but we need to answer the question, what is sexuality for? Why do we even have attractions and, and all of this stuff? Like, what are we doing? And without any agreed upon vision of what that, that stuff even means, um, we really have nowhere to go, and we just end up arguing. So, so if you say you're going to bring about change, you want to change the world, cool, change it to what? Where, where are you going? What are you, what are you trying to do? What are we actually progressing towards? I saw this clearly, the, the, the vision for human flourishing sort of laid out in, in contrast during the course of the, the pandemic, which I say that like that's in the past, still a thing, but... When it started uh, back in, in this country, back in about March, I don't know if you remember this, but in the Christian world, there was a, a, a elevation worship tune that got very popular, and you had people singing it all over the globe, like on a giant Zoom call, and it was the blessing. It was, the Lord bless you and keep you. Maybe you maybe saw this. I mean, people were doing it in all sorts of languages all over the country. Some of it was really well done. That was a Christian vision of, like, blessing, and actually comes from Jewish roots, right? It comes from the Old Testament. Um, and then there was a secular version of a vision of, of humanity in the moment, and it was the John Lennon song, Imagine. I don't know if you remember this, but early on in the pandemic, a bunch of celebrities got together and, like, shot themselves singing Imagine on their phones, and then someone spliced it all together, so you got to see all these different Hollywood folks, like, singing John Lennon's Imagine. And, and because it, it functions as a secular hymn, it is, it is like a religious hymn for the non-religious, you know? And, and it's this vision, you know, that John Lennon has, I guess, of, of, of the future, of what things could be. But have you ever paid attention to the lyrics of that thing? It's horribly depressing. It is. I'll put them up for you. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Wait, what? Why would you even have children if you're living for today? Why would you do anything that, that takes long-term growth, like living for today? Uh, sure, no hell below us. That's because living for today only is hell right here on earth. That's what you're describing. This is awful. I get, I get the, there's no heaven or hell. There's no ultimate punishment. Fine, if that's what you want to say is this amazing idea. But imagine everybody living for today. That's going to go very badly for humanity. Second verse is not better. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You. Okay, if you want to say I'm imagining a future where there's, there's nothing to kill for. Okay, I, murder's wrong. I'm with you. Okay, let's not, let's not do that but nothing to die for? You've got nothing that's really, because if you've got nothing to die for, I'm, I'm wondering if you have anything really to live for. Like, I would put my life on my line for my children, for Jesus. There's a couple things that, that I would say it's worth, this is worth dying for. And I'm supposed to imagine a future where there's none of that? Imagine a future of no religion. This is your vision of humanity, no religion. And if you want to make the argument, hey, religion's killed a lot of people over the years and it's, been a bad, it's done a lot of bad things. 
I won't argue that either. Fine. Religion has done some bad things historically. I get it. I don't disagree. If you want to name them, I can name them. I've studied them too. There's a reason there's something in history called anti-popes. Because you had popes and then you had anti-popes and there was some bad stuff that went on there. I get it. But do you want to talk about the history of no religion? The 20th century is stacked with bodies, people who have been murdered under the banner of no religion, under the banner of some version of atheism. It's not, it's not wonderful. So this is your vision of human flourishing, that you've taken away meaning from people's lives and they have nothing to live or die for. This is, this is really sad to me. And I can't believe that's what we've got. I, I think we can do better. And into, into a world where people are like, imagine there's nothing out there and we're all just in peace. Jesus walks into that world and he says, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. He casts a vision for a, a better thing than this, a, a, a deeper life, a, a more meaningful, rich existence. And, and he points us to it. And then over the course of several years, he teaches us about it. He teaches us the way the body is made. He teaches us the way humanity is made. He teaches us about the, the ties that bind us in our relationship with each other and with God. And he, and he shows us all of that and, and elevates the conversation and says, we, we can be better than this. And, and, I'm, and I'm pointing you to how. And he gives us this kingdom vision, this kingdom of God that, that transcends political boundaries, that transcends this earthly stuff, and he, and he points us to what a changed world would really look like. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you say, I want to change the world, he provided you the answer of what do you want to change it, what do you want to, change it to. He, is, he provides an answer where the kingdom of vision, his kingdom vision, where we are progressing towards actual goals, where we are pursuing real justice for those who don't have justice, and also we are pursuing grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. And I know that sometimes justice and grace are intention, but we're holding those things in tension and we're trying to build the, the kingdom of God. So let's talk about changing the world today. And let's talk about it, especially when you want to quit doing it. Um, it's, it's one thing to be young and optimistic and say, like, I want to change the world. It's another thing to be, like, sort of battle-hardened and scarred over the years. I mean, you see this a lot. We call it compassion fatigue, but when you see people in um, really your social justice fields, you know, when you see people are in social work or you know, foster care or things like that, um, you get fatigued with it. You go, I'm going to do this because it's important and I want to change the world. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, the system is so broken and this is so hard and I'm so tired of it. And you lose sight of why you ever got into it in the first place. And you read your quit line, and you just want to quit the thing. And, 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 you know, there's days for social workers, and I've talked to plenty of them over the years, there's, you know, there's days it's like, hey, you know what? I think I'm just going to bag it and go work for CarMax. I think that would be a better solution than, than trying to keep pushing this rock up a hill, you know? So they, there's, there's a quit line there. So I want to talk about um, changing the world. And, um, and I also want to talk about not just... Um, the idea of changing the world, but I want to talk about it on a very personal level about us changing personally, um, personal change, and when you, when you want to quit and all of that. We, we talk about this church three things. We want to help you connect to God, find your people, and change the world. We've talked about the, those first two the last couple weeks, and I want to talk about the last part, change the world. Um, the book of James is where I want to go here. The book of James is extremely accessible. If you've not picked up the Bible before, if you were just to pick up the Bible and read the book of James in the New Testament, it's short, it's very clear, 
It is um, pretty punchy and direct. It's not a lot of lofty theology. It is a lot of very practical, here's how we work some of these things out. And, and, if, and if you're a very, just give me, the, give me the top line points, you know, or whatever, James is a really good book for that and can be really useful. Um, and so if changing the world, to use the running analogy that we're using in this series, if changing the world is like running a marathon, James, and what I'm going to read to you, isn't going to tell you how to run the whole marathon, but what he is going to tell you is how to like lace them up and get started and run that first mile. Where, where, how do you begin this larger change the world conversation? Um, so James chapter 2, we'll put it up on the screen and we will start with verse 14. And I just want to read that one verse to you to start with. He says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him. I love James. I love, I love his directness. And he goes, okay, what good is it, guys, if you believe something, if you have faith in something, you trust in something, but you don't have anything, you're not doing anything to back it up? What good is it to say, oh, I believe in God, but you don't love people? What good is it to say, oh, I follow Jesus, but you're unkind? What good is it to say, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, but you don't give, you don't serve, you don't do anything with what you believe? What good is that? Where is, the, is there any value in any of that? That's, that's the challenge from James, and that's where he's, he starts. And I think there's two extremes that he pushes at here. One of them is that a lot of James's audience would have been Jewish. And for Jews, to be righteous, to be good, to do what is right, is to uh, live by, by, by works, live by adherence to laws. So there are Old Testament laws. And t- to be a really good Jew, you just lived out those laws the best that you can. You had the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, and then you had rabbis who taught laws upon laws. So there was just all of these rules that you're following, um, you know, don't, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And if you are a rule-following person, that is kind of awesome because it's a very clear, easy scorecard. Do these things, don't do these things. That's what it means to be good. And James is going to push against that a, a, a little bit here and say, like, there's, there's, there's sides to this thing. There's the faith side and there's the work side. And, th- and there's a group of people that are going to say, um, life is about following the rules, and I follow them a little better than you, and I'm a little better than you. I want you to know that is not just a religious thing. That is a human nature thing. It's not just religious people who are like, I'm going to follow all the rules. You see that in all the things we've seen in this culture around, you know, mask wearing and all that kind of stuff. What you see is people get like, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to follow them better than you. You're following them not as good as me. You see all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be religious. That is just a human nature thing. So there are people that are rule followers, and this sounds great. Do the thing, Right? And for, for Jesus' followers in the first century that James is writing to, there were at least a group of them that would then take the, a Jewish mindset of, I need to follow the laws, and then just add Jesus. So I will follow all the laws, and then I will add Jesus on top of that. So any new laws Jesus gave me, I'll add those in too, and then I will use Jesus like he's a rabbi and just his interpretation of the old laws, I'll follow his way. And it became the same system. I am righteous, I am good, I am a good person because I do all the right things in the right way, and I follow all the right rules. That is one extreme that, G, that, that James will push back at. And the other extreme would be people who go completely opposite of that and go, I'm all about faith, belief, trust. Uh, Jesus just lives in my heart, and it doesn't matter what I do. So 
Following God is only about my private personal religion of what's happening in here and what I believe and what, what I kind of and what I actually practice, how I live it out. It doesn't, it doesn't matter as much. And James is, can see both of those sides in, in the culture that he's in in, in his day. Um, and, he, and he pushes back when he pushes back on that. Um, uh, so, so, uh, so on the one hand, you have people that are, I'm good because I follow the rules. On the other hand, people are like, I'm good just because I, I believe. Faith is this interior private thing. And James pushes both of these things together and says, you can't have one without the other. What good is it to have faith and not works? And, and alternately, what good is it to have works but not faith? Faith without works is empty religion. It's, I believe these things, but I don't do anything. We look at that and we call that hypocrisy. Works without faith, it becomes a, a screaming social justice of I need to do all the things and we need to get this right, but there's no love behind it. There's usually fear behind it and, 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 and driven, we're driven by fear, not love. So James is actually, in, in our idea of changing the world, James is actually pointing us to a first step to changing the world. And I would say it this way. Number one, if you're going to change the world, you first have to let the Lord change you. You first have to let the Lord change you. This is the idea of uh, personal change, not just global change. Or even if you want to say it like, um, think globally, act locally. I think that's like a bumper sticker, right? Right, that. Or maybe we could go Michael Jackson. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change, right? Like, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, right? That's what he's saying. I, I, I really like the way I've, I've heard this phrase, uh, phrase in the last couple of years from, from uh, author uh, Jordan Peterson. He says it this way, my sense is that if you want to change the world, you start with yourself and work outward because you build your competence that way. I don't know how you can go out and protest the structure of the entire economic system if you can't keep your room organized. Right? What are we doing? You can't even get it right in, in, the, in, the, in the atmosphere, that, in the arena that you have some sense of control of. You can't even fix it there. Why do you think you can go throw a wrench in the whole works and fix all the things that are broken all out there? Well, I think the honest truth of that is sometimes it's easier to put our energy into fixing the stuff out there that we can't really fix than to try to do the stuff that's very close to us because we really can't fix that, and that's, a, and that's a, 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 a big struggle and a disappointment to us. So you have to start in your own heart. This is why at the church, and when, we, when we're doing kingdom of God work, primarily we, we, we're starting with you and your faith and and. And the community. This is why we ask you to be in a small group. This is why we ask you to take a class, to serve, to give. We ask you to get involved because the transformation is going to start there at a very, very local level. I'm, I'm teaching a transformation class. It starts this Tuesday night. I would highly encourage you if you haven't signed up. We we have room to space out and 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 make it good. And 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 I'm excited about it. And this is the the kind of stuff we're talking about right now. It's the kind of stuff we will unpack it to a, a much greater extent in the class over the course of eight weeks starting this Tuesday night. Um, that would be a good thing uh, because a lot of us have big dreams. We have things we want to see change. But how do, we, how do we do that? Well, we have to let the Lord go to work on us. God does not show up where he is unwanted. I think that is, God could, but I think that is a, a divine self-limitation that God says, 
I'm not going to force myself uh, into relationship with people. And so he, he, he needs to be invited into a relationship. This is why we encourage people to give their lives to Christ and invite him in and, and follow him, surrender our lives to him. And, and so we have to look at our lives, and, and part of being a follower of Jesus is that you examine your life bit by bit, all the compartments of your life, and you go, am I giving these things to Jesus, and how can I do that better? So my finances, is that about me and just what I want, or am I, am I running that through a filter of how do I be generous towards God and others? My, my relationships, is this all about what makes me happy and what scratches my back and who I get to be in relationship with, or, or is there a bigger picture there? And I, and I give over my relationships even to God. Do I give my parenting over to God? Do I, give, do I allow God to have rule over these things and, and, and align myself with his vision? Because Jesus came and he gave commandments. He, he gave teachings on these things. And these were not um, suggestions, but these were commandments to, to obey, to follow as, as disciples of him. They weren't just suggestions for us to, to consider. So the question should be, if you want to change, are you willing to let God work on you and are you willing to lay some things down? Now, I, I probably should do a full stop there, say, look, it, because step one, change the world. Step one is, are you willing in your own life to let God change you? And if the answer is no, well, there's probably nowhere else to go then. Okay, that, then I, I guess we're stuck, right? And this is where it's really hard because changing us or being changed by God, that stuff is hard. Addictions are real. Chemical dependencies are real. This stuff is difficult. If it was easy, everybody would just be doing it all the time. We'd all be giving up all of our bad habits, all of our sins, all that stuff. We would just all put it aside very easily. But, but this stuff is, is hard. So where I want to start is, do you want to change? Do you want to transform? Um, years of experience of being a minister in this church, um, I, what I run into over and over in conversations with people is, is trying to find out, like, do you really want this? Um, or do you just say you want it? A lot of people say they want to change the world or even that they want to change themselves, but they kind of don't. They want to want it. Um, I, I love this quote, W.H. Auden. Uh, listen to what he says here. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. We'd rather be ruined than changed, many of us. This is why they do the studies and, you know, 10 people have a heart attack and nine of them say they're going to change their eating habits or something so that that doesn't happen again, but they don't. Only one out of 10 will actually change. We would rather be ruined than changed. We'd rather be wrong and burn every relationship down that we have than change our opinions on things like politics. We, we would rather be ruined than changed. Does that describe anybody you know? Here's the better question. Does it describe you? Does it describe you? Does it describe me? It's the question I'm asking myself. Change is possible, but you gotta want it. Number two, if you're going to change, you have to take action. You're gonna have to lace them up, put the shoes on. James chapter two, let me continue reading it for you. Um, and I want you to hear what he says uh, when he says, okay, faith without works. And then listen to what he says starting in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, 
be warmed and filled, thoughts and prayers, right? Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Faith, uh, James is reminding us, faith can't just be in the brain. It has to do something. It's not enough to just believe something. He even points out here, there's things such as demons. And demons believe in God. Big deal. Just because you say, I believe in God, James, like, that's not that big of a deal. Like, there's plenty of people, even demons do that. The real question is, what do you do with what you believe? What do you, how do you take action? And I really wish that wasn't true. I wish that my faith could be lived out well and that it could change me and I could change the world merely by what I believe. Because it's so much easier. I know we think it's really hard to change people's minds. And part of that is driven by media and social media and things like that because um, it, it, it's harder to change someone's mind when they write something down and when they make it public, two things that social media encourages you to do. But thoughts that you have that you haven't said out loud, those can change pretty easily, right? You're just like, well, there's nothing at stake here. It's all, I'm just kind of working it over in my head. Um, but, and so I, I know we, we've seen that kind of, that kind of dynamic um, uh, happen, happen before, um, and I wish true change came from just believing the right things um, because I like to believe the right things or try to. And I think faith is important and I think what we believe about God, I think God is the absolute truth and there is such a thing as absolute truth. God is that and defines it and, and our lives would be better if we lived in accordance with how he says the world is. Um, and, and, but revolutions aren't just launched from ideas. They have to take action. Even if you look at today's what, what we call like a post-truth culture, there's, there's roots to that, right? The word post-truth became a thing in 2016, and here we are today. There's roots to that. If you go back 20 years before that, I remember the late 90s, I remember all these conversations we were having in church leadership. I, I don't know if you were having them as well. We were talking about postmodernism. What is postmodernism? What does it mean to have left the modern experiment? Well, the conversation about postmodernism that we're having in the 90s was really had its roots from some French philosophers in the 60s. And so, there, and, and there's probably stuff that you could trace back before that. So ideas come from, from something. There are ideas that drive revolutions. But it isn't until someone takes action on them and starts acting them out that, that the revolution actually happens, that the world has changed. Um, uh, so an example I would give you is what we'd be using in this series with the quit line is running. There's some ideas you might have about running, okay? And I'm not, I'm not much of a runner, so this isn't like my personal life here I'm talking about, but, but a lot of people, okay. So like number one, you could believe running is healthy. Running's healthy. I've, I've read that somewhere. I hear it's a thing. Number two, you could believe, I want to be healthy, so I will run. Well, that's a belief. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a, it's a promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run. I'm going to do this thing. So right now, there's no action. It's all in your head, right? You believe running's healthy, and you believe you should be doing it. Number three, I bought new running shoes. Oh, okay, now, now it's getting real. I'm going to lace them up. Like, I took action. I put money on this. Like, I'm going to go do the thing. We've, we've crossed over from it's all in my head to it's now in my actions. Number four, I'm now going outside to run. I went out and did it. I ran. I ran. It's exciting. It was, actually, it's usually terrible, but for, those people love it. Uh, go you. Um, 
Number five, I run three times a week. Now it's like the thing that I just do. I'm, I'm doing it over and over. At some point, you have to cross from, in that progression, you had to cross from, I believe it, and now I'm actually putting money on it, I'm actions on it, I'm actually out there doing it. The actions kick in about step number three, and the change, changing the world, but changing yourself, this doesn't occur until you lace them up. And in the same way, faith, believing in your head without works, without action, um, doesn't really change much doesn't do anything. In fact, it's worse. Faith without works is hypocritical. And that's the way you will be viewed by by our culture is you're a hypocrite because you say you believe these things, but you act in a in a way very opposite of of what you of of what you say. Um and that's not just me as a religious person saying that to you. Uh, listen to, uh, I read this article last month by a guy named Ben Sixsmith, and he wrote for The Spectator, and he wrote an article called The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors. Um, I don't know if you know who celebrity pastors are. I am not one. Um, but there are some that are famous. Um, and so here's a non-Christian writing this article. And listen to the last thing he said in the article. I, it like stopped me in my tracks when I read this. He said this, I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. We can't be people who go around and say that running is healthy if we aren't willing to lace them up and run ourselves. This is why at the church we ask you to do some things as part of the community here. We don't ask you to just believe to just acknowledge, to just do some sort of mental assent to core doctrines. We have doctrine, we have teaching, we have beliefs. We have these things. These, these things, we unify around these things. They, they hold people together and, and all that. That's, that's fine. But we ask you to take action. We unashamedly ask you to serve. We say, don't just sit there. Serve. Teach a kid's class. Serve coffee here on a Sunday morning. Uh, lead a small group. Um, you know, uh, all these different ways that you can serve, be, be a greeter, whatever. Like, we ask people to serve, and those things are inconvenient. I'd rather show up and receive coffee than show up earlier and make it and serve it, right? I get it. I, I like room service also. Like, we, we all have the, I'd rather be served than to serve, but we ask you unashamedly, serve, take action with your faith. Unashamedly, we say, give, give your money away. Greed is a real thing, and the best way to not be greedy is to not spend all that you get and give it away. Give generously towards God. We ask you to give here at the church. Give your money away. That is a good thing. It is a, it is a helpful thing. It helps shape you. It's an action you can take with your, with your beliefs that you actually put money on it. We ask you to get into a small group and say, don't just live out your faith on your own. Link up with others. We're going to have small group signups here in a couple weeks. Don't, don't just do this thing solo. We should be a team here. We should be a group. We are unashamedly asking you to do those things because we want you to, to change. We want to change. We all want to grow. If we're going to change the world ultimately, it's going to have to start here. Um, and, let me, and this leads me to the last piece here, and this is uh, where James goes with us next. James is going to give us a couple examples of, of this kind of thing, of, of this um, 
faith and works dynamic here. Uh, look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that when an author calls you foolish, don't you, like, it's nice. It's nice. It really makes me want to read more. Oh, tell me again. Yes, okay. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture that was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's a very uncomfortable scripture for a large segment of Christianity that teaches that you are justified by faith alone. Because the only times the word faith alone shows up in the scriptures is this one, and it says you're not justified by faith alone that there has to be some outworking of it. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Final piece, final point. If you're gonna take action, you have to stick with it. If you're gonna take action, you have to stick with it. He gives examples. Some of Abraham you might be familiar with, Rahab maybe less so. But his Jewish audience would be familiar with those. And we don't have a lot of backstory on Rahab and, and what she did, but we do have some backstory on Abraham. And even the example he gives about Abraham offering up his son Isaac is a, a snapshot of a moment of Abraham's life. And it is a powerful moment, and God intervenes, and, and this cool thing happens, and it foreshadows Jesus, and there's a lot there. But the truth is, Abraham's faith was lived out through action over the course of about 70 years. Ups and downs, peaks and valleys, did some good things, some bad things. But it wasn't just one moment of faith. It was walked out in his works, in the things that he did over time. He didn't just believe God once and that's it and game over and now he's the most righteous person ever. It, he stuck with it. He stuck with his faith. The change comes over time when we have a continual commitment to do something. This is true of anything you want to do in life, right? If you say, I want to get in the best shape of my life, that's a continual commitment. That's not going to be a one-day thing. You didn't just have kale for lunch one time and called it good. Although if you've ever had kale one time, I'm ready to call that good. That, that's enough. Um, some of you are like, you're not cooking it right. Whatever. Uh, uh, I did, I, I did a, a thing with intermittent fasting. I started in July of like this intermittent fasting thing to lose weight. And it, it worked over the, over the course of like months. It was not like a one-time thing. It's a, it's a continual thing that I'm still working through now seven months later, six months later, whatever it is. Uh, and, and you know that's how things work. Uh, any, like, 21-day cleanse or 30 days, like, that's a nice jump start. But it, 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 the change comes when you go over a lifetime or a lifestyle of, of something and, and you move into these things over, over the long term. It's an ongoing process. You, you know that. Lifestyle uh, change results come from lifestyle shifts. You see this in relationships. A, a, a good relationship is built over time. It's not a one-time, I was nice to this person one time and we're good. No, it's, it's peaks and valleys over the, long, over the long haul. You see this with reading. A great book is not read in one day. You have to kind of invest in it over and over. A great education is not had in a moment, but it's, it's an overtime thing. You keep showing up. It's the same with our relationship with God. We keep showing up. We read, we read, we get alone, quiet with God. We read, we pray, we study, we get together with other people who are doing it, and we do it over and over we worship, we gather, we serve over and over again. You see, there's quit lines all along the way that we want to bail on all of this, on our relationship with God and, and everything. 
up. Let me put, the, let me put those five up on the screen for you. Running is healthy. You can believe that. And at that point, you might quit. You might just go, running's good. I, that's, that's good that people do it. I'm out. I, I, I'm not interested. Or you could say, I want to be healthy, so I'll run. Number two, I want to be healthy, so I'm going to run. And then you can quit after that because it's just a commitment in your mind. You just go, I want to run, but I'm not going to. I want to be the kind of person who wants to do this, but I'm not really. I, I want to want this, but I don't. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. You can stop right there. You could, you could quit after number three, I bought new running shoes. You could quit right there and go like, oh, those shoes are going to make me want to run. They don't. New running shoes look good in your closet too. They don't have to be on your feet. They're not going to make you, they might make you run once, right? So you can quit right there. Well, I got the thing, but I never really. This is why people have treadmills that serve as coat racks in their house, right? Because you bought the thing, it was good, but it doesn't make you want to do it. You quit right there. I'm now going to go outside to run. So you go run one time, and then you quit after that, or twice or something, and you just sort of quit. Why? Because, well, it's hard, and it's tiring, it's too cold outside, it's too hot outside, I'm really tired from work, it's too early in the morning, I didn't get enough sleep, I'm actually a little bit hungry right now, politics has made me mad again, my uncle's saying this stupid thing, somebody ticked me off, I'm not, it, it doesn't matter, any reason in the world will work if you don't want to do it, right? And so you quit right there, there's your quit line. But it isn't until you push through all the way and stay with it that you start to see the results. The, the change comes when we reach that sort of that fifth level and we stick with it. And I think there's something true with our faith. There's a relationship with Jesus. Um, we're tempted to bail. Uh, but I would say if, if we will just do the simple things, if we will read, pray, give, serve, Worship, these, these simple things, there's nothing new there. There's nothing Christians haven't been doing for a couple thousand years. And honestly, I don't know where you're at, I'm kind of glad it's not new. Like, I'm kind of glad that with my faith, I can dial into something that I didn't make up 15 minutes ago. It's not the latest, newest, hottest fad thing, because we've all seen those things come and go. It's, it's regular. It's, it's slow. It's just walking out our faith a little bit at a time. We read. We get quiet every day a little bit. We pray. We get together with others who are doing the same. Wash, rinse, repeat. Not just doing a 90-day challenge to read the Bible. That's good. That's a good kickstart. And we'll give you some options like that. We're going we're gonna to read through the book of 1 Corinthians together as a church this year, and we're going to put some resources in your hands to do that. But to do these things over and over, um, I, I think if you do that, you will change. His thoughts will become your thoughts. And it will change you from the inside out. And if you will be changed, you can then change the world. And I think that's important to remember because we're going to inaugurate a new president this week. And um, generally, and you've heard me talk about this, I'm not going to spend a lot energy on that. I talked about it a little bit last week, but, but generally I sort of feel like Caesar going to do what Caesar going to do. The, the, the culture is going to do its thing, and there will be political leadership, and there will be all this hope and change and all of this stuff that we kind of do every, every couple of years. Um, but the people of God need to focus on our hearts getting right with Jesus and then seeing that expand out to, to bring about his, his kingdom and not be wrapped up in, in, in the cultural 
countercultural thing. Because I think if we get our hearts right before the Lord and we, we do the simple things over and over, we'll change and we will eventually change the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, the mission that we are on, that the, the, the people of God are dialed into a different kingdom. God, I pray you change us. You work in our hearts that we will not be people who profess that we believe something, but then our actions are completely opposite. And we will also not be the kind of people who are just going out and doing a bunch of things in a justice sort of way without tying them into you and to the heart and to your vision of kingdom flourishing. God, raise our sights. Give us a better vision for the kingdom of God than any political alternative that might be offered in culture and in the nations. Thank you, Lord, so much for this community and people who are willing to engage the conversation and, and, have, and maybe have some better conversations about um, who we, we can and should be. Uh, help us to transform God as we dial into you. In Jesus' name, amen.